Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys three different mini stories. So grab yourself some coffee and let's dive in. continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more crime over coffee content by signing up for our patreon you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content to check out this opportunity and sign up for the crime over coffee patreon visit www.patreon.com slash crime over coffee pod thank you again for all of your support the first mini story that i'm going to be telling you guys is about a woman named linda pearson So in 1966, Linda was 18 years old and was living in Dayton, Kentucky. On November 16th, 1966, Linda left her house around 7 o'clock that night. There were some reports that said that she may have gotten into a 1957 Chevy with a man. However, she was never seen again after this, and this wasn't able to officially be corroborated. Pretty quickly, her family and her friends start searching for her with no luck but the next day on november 17th 1966 there was a group of boys who had gone out fishing at the ohio river and they ended up coming across a body so they immediately report it and police come out and they see the body of what was believed to be linda pearson when they found her body she was clothed in only her bra and she was covered up by a coat They were able to quickly determine that the cause of death was most likely strangulation and that it was probably a wire or a string. They said that it could have come from something like a musical instrument and that could have been what had been used to strangle her. I wonder how they come to that conclusion that it could have been from a musical instrument. The only thing I could think of was that the musical instruments, like the strings are so, so small, but they're also like strong enough like mm-hmm. the only other things like that thin yeah. would be like yarn like a really thin so they probably could base it on that that's a good point it's interesting or like maybe i'm just surprised that we haven't heard that more often i feel like there was one other episode that either we covered or that i heard about where this was the same they also were able to determine that it could have come from a musical instrument and police were able to determine that linda had been raped prior to her body having been placed there. So police don't have a whole lot to go on other than the fact that she may have gotten into a 1957 Chevy with some man. So police end up identifying this guy and goes and talks with him, but he says that he wasn't with her. They keep talking with him and he's like, well, okay, I picked her up, but I dropped her off in town. So I, and I have no idea what happens with after that. That's not suspicious at all. When people just immediately, I mean- Obviously, it's going to happen, but when people immediately are just so closed off and they're like, I don't know what happened, goodbye, it's a little suspicious, I always think. Well, especially when you could have said, yes, I dropped her off in town, so maybe something happened to her there. You guys should go check it out. But obviously, that wasn't how it played out. I think police found him just as suspicious as we are right now, 
And so they tried to take a polygraph or tried to get him to take a polygraph test and he refuses it and immediately requests an attorney. That's fair. We've talked about that before. Yeah, completely fair. You don't have to take polygraph tests. They don't always work in your favor. Apparently, a year later, police officers had also asked this guy to take the polygraph test again. And he's like, yeah, I'll I'll take it. But then before he actually ended up taking it, he changed his mind again. So I don't believe he ever had a polygraph test done. And I couldn't find anything that identified who he was publicly. Over the next few decades, police officers and detectives continued to interview multiple hundreds of people and chase down any sort of tips that they ever received they weren't ever able to find any other evidence in this case or able to connect it to anything else i did see that at the same time that linda was murdered the cincinnati strangler was also in the same area and he was active in that area from december of 1965 to december of 1966 In that year's time, he murdered seven women in the area that he was actually able to be connected to. So people speculate that it's possible that the Cincinnati Strangler could have had a hand in her death. From what I could find, though, police did end up kind of ruling it out that he could have. There's people that still speculate it, but police denied it and said that, you know, there's a lot of other people that are already in the area that she knew personally that they were a little more interested in. However, none of these people have ever been announced It did say that even in that for years after her murder, they were continuing to interview with people and and investigate her case even until the 2000s. So if anyone has any information about the murder of Linda Pearson, they are asked to call the KSP Post 6 at 859-428-1212. The second story that I'm going to tell you guys is about Nicholas and Elias Otero. In February of 2021, 20-year-old Nicholas Otero added 18-year-old Annabella Dukes on Snapchat, and they talked for a little while, and they ended up agreeing to finally meet up for the first time. Nicholas went to pick her up in his car, which was a red Lexus, and took her to Alvarado Park in New Mexico. Shortly after arriving at the park, uh, another car pulled up behind Nicholas, and three armed men came out of the vehicle and attacked Nicholas. They drug him out of his car and one of the three men held a gun to his head. They ended up robbing Nicholas of any money and jewelry that he had. However, they didn't touch Anna. Well, it's already kind of sounding like maybe she had a hand in this. Yeah. So immediately, you know, he's kind of suspicious, which is completely fair because they haven't touched her at all. And Apparently, when he first picked up Anna, she had asked him, like, a couple random questions. One was where he kept his money. Another was if he had a gun. And the other one was her talking about the diamond-encrusted chain that he had around his neck. It seems a little suspicious. So, after they rob Nicholas, they end up putting him in his vehicle and forcing him to drive to his brother Elias's house. When they got there, they had Nicholas FaceTime Elias and ask him for a thousand dollars in ransom money to get his brother back and the suspects told Elias that they would kill Nicholas if they didn't pay the ransom and so Elias was like I'm gonna go outside and see what's going on so he grabs his own gun and comes out of his house and is 
basically gonna confront them instead of giving them the money, which I also understand. But immediately he is shot and killed by one of the suspects. A thousand dollars, you said? Yeah. That's a relatively low ransom. Well, when I explained that they are like 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds, oh, it makes a little more sense. Right. Because I thought the same thing. And then when I looked at their ages, I was like, I, I guess that makes a little more sense. It's still... It is low. It's also outrageous that a 17-year-old is holding somebody captive and then for a ransom. Yeah. But immediately, Nicholas and Elias' sister calls 911, and this is at 2.20 in the morning, and tells them that her brother had been shot. So police arrive and immediately immediately pronounce 24-year-old Elias dead at the scene. Nicholas was let go, and the kidnappers all left in their car. They did not take... Nicholas's car with them. They had drove their car over as well. Turns out that the car that they had was actually one that they had stolen the day before from somebody. They had used that Snapchat method where she had added some guy on Snapchat and then met up and stole their, his car. Police were able to determine the identity of two of the attackers. Once again, 18-year-old Annabella Dukes and her boyfriend, 17-year-old Adrian Avila. The other two men that were a part of the attack still to this day have not been identified. Adrian was the one that did shoot Elias. Adrian was the one that had pulled out the gun and had shot Elias. The other two were just involved in driving the car and also believed to have been involved in stealing the car the day before. So in December of 2021, they issue a warrant for the arrest of Anna with those charges and for about a month she evades arrest and in january she eventually turns herself in in december of 2021 adrian also turned himself in and he was charged with the exact same things as anna if you have any other information regarding the identities of the other two men you can contact the crime stoppers at 843-7867 or you can submit your tips to p3tips.com slash 531. The third and final story I'm going to tell you guys is a case suggestion from listener Jesse B. And this story is about a man named Marcus Wolf. This story actually takes place close to where Abby and I grew up in Indiana. On July 25th, 2016, Marcus Wolf left his mom's house from the Miami Village Mobile Home Park in Columbia City to go back to his house in to go back to his apartment in South Whitley. He left around 9:30 in the evening and his mom didn't think anything of it. However, the next evening, a couple of people that Marcus worked with showed up at her house and asked if she knew where he was. Apparently, he had never made it to work that day, which was very unlike him, and his mom was very clearly concerned. She tried calling Marcus and he did not answer. So she called his grandmother and asked if he, if she would go and check on his apartment because she lived just a few blocks away. When she got there, he wasn't there and she said that it looked like he hadn't been there for a few days. His mom was not super concerned because the day before he had been at a concert and then had worked all day the next day after. So she knew he really hadn't been home a whole lot. But she was concerned that he hadn't gone to sleep yet because she knew that he hadn't slept much after the concert and then he had been working the next day and so 
And so he was probably exhausted. So on July 26, 2016, his mom goes to the Whitley County Sheriff's Department and files a missing persons report. Because of the fact that he was 19 years old, police weren't able to do a whole lot as he was an adult and could have left on his own accord at any point in time. They did post about it on local media and did talk about him as though he was a missing person. His mom said that she tried to have it upgraded to a silver alert, but there was no evidence that he was in any danger or that or that anybody had taken him or harmed him in any way. So they weren't able to release that alert. For those of you that don't know, Indiana is full of a lot of very rural areas and a lot of lakes and ponds. So there is a lot of land and area to search. So his mom had a bunch of friends and family and just people that had known Marcus out searching the back roads and the fields and trying to find him or any sign of his vehicle. There were a lot of different search groups that came together to help his mom find Marcus. The last group that came in was the Ohio chapter of Texas EquiSearch. They came in with sonar equipment and started searching all the ponds and lakes in the area. Once they came and started helping, they searched more than 20 bodies of water in the Whitley County area. And on April 8th, 2017, they searched the Larwell Lake and end up finding Marcus's vehicle. His vehicle was found about 24 feet deep and about 500 feet out from the edge of the lake. And police have no idea how he ended up there. It was able to be determined that his car had rolled in. It hadn't crashed. And people are suspicious of it because they aren't sure how he could have accidentally ended up in this lake because of where it's placed. When he was found, his seatbelt was still on him. And they weren't able to determine what gear his car was in when they found him. Only because in the shuffle of getting the car out and trying to get his body out of there, everything kind of got jostled around and moved. And they know that the gear shaft, or, and they knew know that the shaft had been moved. So they weren't able to determine any of that. If they're assuming it was rolled in, though, I would guess it was probably in neutral, right? I would say so. I wonder where they were getting that from. Like, maybe just because there was no, like, front-end damage at all, or... They, so, the thing that I read said the black box in his car. So, I know that there's ways to determine... There, there's, like, different technology in your car nowadays to determine mm-hmm. some of that stuff. So, I'm assuming that's... The black box is what... Right. Determines that. I've only ever heard that reference to um, planes. But I also know very little about cars, so... Yeah, it says... A black box in a car gathers driving information about the vehicle before, during, and after a crash. It can gather data including speed, acceleration, braking, steering, and airbag deployment. Family and friends say that there was no indication that Marcus was ever suicidal, and they thought that he was happy. He had been flirting with a new girl that he had met and was wanting to hang out with her and making plans for all kinds of things. So police don't believe that he purposefully drove off. As his mom had mentioned, he was pretty tired. And so it's possible that he just fell asleep while he was driving. But like we said, it's kind of hard to accidentally drive into that lake. It's also weird that it was almost a year later before his vehicle was found. This one, there's no specific evidence that any foul play was ever involved. However, people just don't have any answers as to what happened. So it's really just more of a mystery as to what happened that night. 
If you have any information regarding this, you can contact Detective Bryce at 260-244-6410. 